When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Fieldhouse Files is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know that NBA and Pacer tickets tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So if you're already looking ahead, planning your schedule for November, a home game, maybe it's Milwaukee to see Giannis and George Hill. Maybe it's Memphis to see Jaron Jackson Jr. You'll want to go onto the app, use the easy two-tap checkout once you use the in-app panoramic seat view to see exactly where you'll be sitting at the game. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download Game Time and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. And welcome into another episode of The Fieldhouse Files. Yes, a new name formerly known as the Pacers Podcast have made the transition to The Fieldhouse Files. I'm Scott Agnes for those new listeners, and I'll be joined by a co-host this season. We'll get to him in just a minute, but I want to thank Dave. That's Ninja 22 on Twitter. He was the one of many to make suggestions, but we ended up choosing and settling on The Fieldhouse Files. So, Dave, I'll be in contact with you and send a prize pack your way. So what can you expect from us? It'll be two shows a week, probably at least one show on all platforms and one show for subscribers only. And then if there's major news, significant news, whatever, that will be free for all special bonus episodes, what have you. So be on the lookout for those. And right now we're offering a a promotion to get you started here. If you're not a member of the athletic and remember it covers everything. So this would be whether you want to read about Frank Vogel in LA or the Chicago Bears. You can go to theathletic.com slash fieldhousefiles, get 40% off an annual subscription, and that, of course, includes every one of our podcasts commercial-free. All right, let's get to it now, and first bring in my co-host, Dave DeFore. He does all kinds of podcasts here on the athletic athletic platforms, and, and Dave, I'm glad to have you on as my co-host this season. Welcome. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, this is This Indiana Pacers team is one that I've you know, been a fan of from afar. I love how they operate. I think Nate McMillan is such a great coach, and I, I'm I'm excited to have the opportunity to dig in a little bit more uh, on this team and and watch every single game. Although, you know, uh, I don't know, I can't promise I'm going to be watching them play the Washington Wizards in January. But <laughs> yeah, that might be a game people are passing. Although now with Bradley Beal still on board with the Wizards, might that's the one thing of interest, right? Yeah, that's true. But uh, yeah, I'm excited to be able to dig in on on this team. And, uh, you know, I'm also going to be doing this with Portland. And and it's really going to I think it's going to be a unique experience for me as a a guy who covers the entire league to really like dive into these teams in particular. And the other thing I like is you bring a different perspective. So things maybe I'm overlooking or feel like I've repeated a lot. You want to dive deeper on. And so I'm good with that. Yeah, I'm planning to talk a lot about the ins and outs of this offense and how they're going to find ways to score because that's the big question uh, 
for me this season. How are they going to score, and how are they going to stop the other teams from scoring? Well, this- Which I know sounds simple, right? Like The goal of basketball is to score more points than your opponent, but I'm trying to figure out how this Pacers team is going to do both. See, for me, it's the focus needs to be more on the defensive side. So we'll get to all that in just a minute. But uh, first, if you haven't been paying attention or just jumping back in, Pacers completely remade their roster once again. So just eight returning players, only one starter. We're not including Victor in that bunch because he remains out indefinitely. So it's a lot of newness around this team. I joked before training camp, Dave, that they're going to actually need name tags because a lot of these guys, some of them were lost on islands like TJ Warren over in Phoenix, where all you're doing is playing for a lottery pick every year. Yeah. I mean, how many TJs are on the team? So the Pacers, (laughs) it feels that way. And, and even Nate McMillan's joking, like he'll call to the bench, TJ, TJ, TJ. And then realize they'll be like, who, which one? T.J. McConnell, point point guard. You have T.J. Leaf, who's a four, and T.J. Warren coming over from Phoenix, who played the four, but is more of a three, wants to play the three, and he'll be their small forward. T.J. Leaf is really kind of a zero because he's not going to play much. (sighs) We'll see. Right now he's part of the rotation. He's playing more of that backup four spot, and a lot of his minutes, I think, two and and part at the beginning, Dave, will will, uh, be dependent on Goga Bataze, the rookie who's out of shape and just played his first game in probably more than six months in that last preseason game. He was unaware of when his last competitive game was. So that's how long it's been um, for him. And so you're going to need guys like TJ Leaf or Jakar Sampson, somebody to slide in at that four at times. Uh, yeah, I agree. Although I, I think TJ, uh, TJ, sorry, got to have TJ on the brain. I think Doug McDermott might be the best guy to bring off the bench in that four spot. The, the shooting, the floor spacing, I think it'll be important. And, and and you can get away with that a little bit more on the defensive end on the second units. The thing I will say, though, is then that goes against what they're kind of preaching and how the Eastern Conference is going big. We're matching that. We have more size than we ever have. We're playing old school basketball with Domas and Miles starting inside um, to go away from that. But then it does give them options to yeah. keep one big in there and go small with four shooters, let's say. I will say that the the year they chose to start Sabonis and Turner together is, you know, the timing is perfect because every other team got huge. Milwaukee got bigger. The 76ers got bigger. Uh, the Magic are as big as you can get. And so I do think that, that that's great and that's going to make that go better. But they are going to have to just play their best players uh, at all times. And so, you know, if, if Sabonis is getting a rest, I think you got to play McDermott over Leaf. I, I just wow. think okay. you're going to need that scoring so much, in particular on the second units. Um, you know, no Oladipo. They're going to – I'm I'm nervous. I'm nervous. I don't know if they're going to make the playoffs. That's mm. how nervous I am. Mm. That's bold because the Pacers have consistently made it. Uh, I think they're second here in these last 30 years. 24 times in the last 30 years they've made it. So you are going against the grain with that call. I, I'm nervous. I, I, right now I have them somewhere between six and eight. Um, the Oladipo question is obviously huge. We don't know what Oladipo we're going to have when he comes back. Typically when guys miss a lot of time with an injury like this, when they do return, they're not at 100%, and, and they're definitely not ready for NBA action. So, you know, is it going to be one of these things where it takes him 20 games to kind of get his feel back? and and Or is it going to be like a Gordon Hayward-type situation where he really needs a whole season to come back and, and be 
See, that's you know, at least closer to normal. And that's what I lean on, Dave, because based off two local examples, right here we saw it firsthand with Paul George and then with Gordon Hayward. And, and PG came back for the final six games and strained a calf. He really just wanted to do that for his mindset and to kind of get it behind him. But that first year he wasn't himself just like Gordon wasn't. And that Gordon, a little bit in my opinion, was for several reasons up there in Boston. Um, but that's that's the issue that Victor is facing. And the biggest thing, too, is that this is no ordinary injury. He's going right. to a physical therapist and a doctor that have handled this type of injury for an athlete before, but there aren't many cases of it. In the NBA, you're really only talking about maybe Charles Barkley years ago. You're talking about Tony Parker at 35. He came back in seven months, admitted how it was too early, how he rushed himself back and regrets it, and he was out of the league in two years. Uh, yeah, and then so if Oladipo's not back, Who's going to be the primary initiator of the offense? They don't have Boyan to, to lean on. Um, I, I don't. I don't know if uh, if TJ Warren can do it. I know TJ Warren's going to score, but I don't know if he's going to create for others in the way that Oladipo did. So I, I do think that's a major concern. And then on the other end, the guy that they're going to miss the most is Thad Young. I mean, Thad Young was the rising tide of the glue guy. I mean, he was yeah. the glue guy. Miles Turner was was fantastic. Don't get me wrong. I, I I actually thought he should have been on all NBA defensive team. I, I thought he he really did a great job of, of being like the the back line, the free safety on this team last year. Uh, but Thad Young was the cornerstone of that defense. So um, you know, I, I just they've got question marks. And and until you know, I, I think we're gonna need to see like ten games just to figure out what the identity of this team is gonna be without Oladipo, and then. How do they reintegrate him into, into what they're trying to do? So I'll take it a step further. I think we won't know a ton for several months till maybe January because of there's so much newness with this group. I mean, we're seeing them in training camp play different lineups, different rotations. This is the first time in covering this team where the coach is, you know, two days before the season is unsure what the rotation will be. And I, I think that's and that's proof of kind of this conversation, right? Is TJ in, is Leaf in or out? Where are you going? There's so many options. There is flexibility within this this lineup and this um, way this roster is composed, but that also provides some difficulties here for Nate and, and finding those parts that work well together. Yeah, and, and then let's not forget, they did this India trip, and the science is sort of in. Like We, we have the, the statistics uh, teams are looking at this all the time. The the trips to Japan and China have had a negative effect on teams coming out of the gate. I mean, it, there's just no way around it. So, you know, what's it going to look like the first two months of the season for them as they're recovering from this trip to India? You know, it, it's I won't say that the East is stacked because um, it definitely isn't. But for a team that may be middle of the pack, it wouldn't be very difficult to see them falling out of the playoffs because of a slow start. See, I would think you're asking too much of the other Eastern Conference teams for the Pacers <laughs> to drop back. I, I was doing this exercise for a story the other day, and it's like, okay, so are you putting Orlando ahead of them? Are you putting yes. Detroit? Or wh 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 What are I those teams Detroit, you're putting ahead of them? So I, I have, I mean, obviously Milwaukee, uh, Philadelphia. I have Orlando. I have Toronto. And I think Miami's got a good shot. Um, Brooklyn is probably ahead of them, slightly. And then it's sort of, for the last two or three spots, it would be Boston, Indiana, 
um, Chicago if everything broke right. You know, like there's it, not likely, but if everything mm-hmm. broke right for Chicago, they kind of be in that in that conversation. But uh, and then Detroit, you know, which is going to rest on Blake Griffin's health. So I do think the bottom part of of the playoff race is more competitive than we realize. And, and again, it's very much about Oladipo and, and missing Oladipo and not knowing what he's going to be when he is in the lineup. If if you told me Victor was going to come back uh, December 1st and he was going to be the Victor Oladipo that he was, you know, the last two seasons uh, when he was healthy, then I would say, oh, OK, well, then they're probably the five seed. They could probably make up for it. Um, but not not knowing about Victor Oladipo and then missing Thad Young. And I just I don't have a ton of confidence. Hmm. No, that's interesting to hear for for sure. See, for me. I'm going with the idea that Toronto, I think they have to decide to probably blow it up. If I'm Detroit, I don't think they will, but I would move Blake Griffin or some, get some value back for them and, and reboot that whole thing. And so if you do those, and I'm sh- not sure what we're going to see from Brooklyn in this year before KD is re- able to return, those are three big question marks for teams that I think are in the conversation. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess – the different paths. I just don't get why Toronto would blow it up. I think that they should try to be competitive. I think they can be competitive. Uh, maybe even a puncher's chance at a finals run, you know, it, it, with some injury luck or something like that. I just think it's hard in that market to to just say, okay, we can abandon this. Doesn't it feel like they're in no man's land, though? Like, to it, me, there's no hope bit. for the conference finals and finals, but you're not bad enough to play out of the out of yeah, the. I, the field for the postseason. I just don't. So I, I think that if you look at last season, right, like they just set themselves up and they got lucky, you know, uh, Kevin Durant being injured, Clay Thompson being injured. They won a title that way. And I think if you apply this logic and you just say, look, we're a good enough team that we're going to be in the playoffs. We're probably going to at least make the second round. So if we can do that, we've got a puncher's chance at another finals run, because if Joel Embiid is out, let's say he gets hurt, he's out. Or Giannis, you know, gets hurt. And mm-hmm. I hate to even talk about injuries, but we all know that big injuries happen every single year and change the landscape of the league. Um, but if everything broke right, this is a team that could be in the finals again, or at least the conference finals. And so I, I think that when you have that situation where you can go one of two ways, I, I would I would lean toward Masai making the decision to continue to compete. Now, if they come out of the gate and they don't look great, Okay, well, they've got some pieces they could sell off and, and think about, you know, 2021 when yeah. they can sign Giannis. And, and that's more so what I'm getting at here, too, yeah. is you don't have Kawhi. Things don't go well. Maybe you try to get it going and build some assets so you can have a quick retooling over these next couple of years. That's all I was getting at. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, So we're on the same page there. Mm-hmm. Um, it is It is just tricky, right? Because we've all sort of been conditioned at this point to feel like teams – should 100% just tank when it's time to tank. And, and and I just disagree with it. I think Houston's a good blueprint. You know, we all we all lean on where they just stay competitive. But uh, I would argue Indiana is a, is a blueprint for it as well. You know, these smaller markets, you, you have to just – you got to try hard. You got to try your best. You got to do a little bit of fan service, right? The numbers have kind of gone, gone against it, right? Like Orlando has yeah. been re- retooling for years, for decades at this point, right? Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, I, I do I do not expect them 
to to bail on on being competitive. That that's my expectation. Now I'm very ready to be wrong and to have the entire league <laughs> shaken up again because Kyle Lowry gets traded to like, you know, the 76ers or, you know, Marcus Saul gets traded to, you know, whatever a team that needs a center. Um, Hello, to the Boston. Lakers. <laughs> right, Boston. Um, I, you know, so I, I do think that uh, Toronto is sort of the team that, that holds all the cards for the entire league except for themselves. So they are going to be interesting to watch from that standpoint. But, uh, yeah, I, I do think they're going to wind up just being competitive. So it's a competitive East, and especially at the bottom where I expect Indiana to be. And, and it just makes me nervous because there are so many question marks, you know. And let's start with with Victor here because we did get news a couple of days ago um, after Victor returned from out of town, getting evaluated by his his own doctor and physical therapist and such, and he was cleared for five on five work. So this is just the next step for him in the half court setting. He's able to to do some work and be part of the first um, segment of practice, whereas normally he's been sitting out and only doing shooting and those sorts of things. I think it's one of those where it's good news, but it's nothing to just get your hopes about up about because everything I've heard continues to push towards February. Now they're not pushing a, a timeline. And I think that is smart from both sides. Us in the media, of course, we want something um, to, to lean on, but if he's coming back now, maybe it does trend more towards a January, which would be nearly 12 months since that devastating injury. If they get to the point where it's January, February and they're, and they're sort of out of it, would you expect them to just have him sit the rest of the year? Or do you think they want to get him back out there and get him get him some reps? So there's several things here. First of all, I don't think, again, because they're in the Eastern Conference, I don't expect sure. them right. to ever but kind of say, be out of it. But if they are... and Worst the, case scenario. Yeah, and if they are, and the thing I've been tossing around in my own head is you get past the All-Star break. At what point is it even worth it? Now, leaning on previous history... Um, with Paul George, he wanted to get back out there. And I know Victor, he's going to have to be slowed down a little bit by his own doctors and by the Pacers mm-hmm. because he would play tomorrow if he could. That's how eager he or any player really is after coming back from an injury. And I mean, imagine he's sitting there at practice with a ball in his, at his hip just having to watch. That's a miserable thing. So I, I would expect them to still try to give it a go at this point, even if, if things are counted out, just because those reps – um, what it can do for the mental side of things and just be reassuring going into an off season, I would expect at this point for him to play some games this year. Okay. Well, so uh, in which case, maybe the the injury, they don't feel like it's as, uh, as serious or it's serious, but they don't worry about the risk of re-injury, which is one of the big things I think for these guys that come back from all that time off is the risk of re-injury. I mean, Everyone talked about how awful Gordon Hayward looked last year, but he got hurt again, if you remember, like in August. He was in a walking boot. And so that's the last thing you want is any sort of setback. The, the trouble with Gordon was during his rehab, it got pushed back four months because they had to go back in and take a plate out. So that right. complicated the whole issue with him. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, bar, barring any unforeseen circumstances, you know, I, I'm hoping he comes back and is just 100% ready to go, but... You know, the the truth of the matter and the reality is that we watch these guys do it all the time and everybody comes back rusty. And the one thing I will say that the team now appreciates is at least he's around the team this year because they were a little salty a little bit last year how he went away. And yeah. on I think it was January 28th, took a private jet to Miami and basically lived there for six months at least. The, the only thing he did was come back 
for a postseason game. And for fans, they'll remember this. He tried to come back for Game 3 against Boston, delayed his flight so he could get a, a rehab session in. It was like 6 o'clock. Game was at 8. He got in on the private jet, and weather kept him from coming. So that was something I know irritated Nate, too, because he was really wanting to get that thing that idea of a Victor back here, what emotional lift can he provide, all that. He wanted to put it behind him before the game and before even shoot around that day. But they like having him, his positive spirit, and just his experience as well that he can advise on for, these, for this team, Dave, because this team has gotten much younger. That's something we haven't also talked about is in addition to the 12 newcomers, their average age is something like 25, 26, where those outgoing players, Darren Collison, Boyan, Thad, they were already in their 30s. Yeah, I mean, he's sort of, he's going to be leaned on to be a leader on this team, which is kind of going to be new for him. I mean, he's he, he's a natural leader, but he always had Boyan. He always had Thad Young in particular. And, uh, you know, how is this team going to respond to Victor Oladipo as the leader, in particular when he's not playing? I think it What's will. I think it'll like? be fine because at least with those core that had been here before, um, he, he's always singing, he's always talking, he's always heard and felt when he's around the team. There's no doubt about that. And before last year was Victor and Thad as those captains. You're you're absolutely right. They're going to miss Thad as much off the court as they will on the court. And then I think the guy that's really stepped up is Malcolm Brogdon in terms of leadership. Dan Burke, the Pacers' longtime assistant coach, said his leadership already rivals that of Reggie. He's the best leader in this less than a month they've had since Reggie has been here all the way back in the early 2000s. Well, they don't call him the president for nothing. Correct. Yep. So, you know, I think that he's going to be huge uh, in the locker room for them. I, I I wonder how much he can do on the court for them, though. You know, obviously he was great playing off of Giannis last year. I mean, 50-40-90. Like, it's not hard. It's not easy to do. Um I do worry about him increasing his role as a playmaker. I don't know if he's that guy. The other thing is he's a little bit playing out of position, right? He's playing at that point guard spot. And eventually, once Vic is back, I think it'll work out well because you have really two shooting guards sharing the responsibilities in that backcourt. Um, not a guy that's uh, going to turn it over. He's just kind of a steady hand, I think. That can also play defense. And most of the time... The plan is for him to just guard the opposing point guard. But in late-game situations, going to back, Dave, to my biggest concern with this team, defense, don't be surprised, I think, if you see Brogdon or if you see even Justin Holiday off the bench come in and got, guard that, that wing or that guy that's tearing him up. Because without Boyan and without Thad, those two were the guys that guarded, that defended that elite wing. Your Giannis's, your LeBron's, your Jimmy Butler's, your Kawhi's, PG. They don't have that guy this year. Right, and th and those guys are not as big as the guys that they had last year. You know, people don't realize how big Boyan is, and, and you know, you watch him guard LeBron, and and LeBron can't just, you know, beast him out of the way. And obviously, Thad Young is you know one of the toughest guys in the league, and we know what he's all about. But I I, I think it's a downgrade for them, you know, at going to Brogdon and Holiday because of the size, and so you know that's a that's a question I have for them, uh, and then. You know, can Edmund Sumner come in and, and be a guy that gives him a little bit of a boost there? I don't I don't know. I've been a believer in Sumner for a while and, uh, you know, I, I haven't seen it yet. So, I mean, they're going to just need contribution, more contribution from these guys than we've ever seen out of them before in order to make up for missing Oladipo and, and not having Thad Young. 
Yeah, they're going to get contributions from all over. And, and, and Sumner, the big thing with him is just health. If he can stay right. healthy and because he's a thin frame. I think it was John Hollinger made me laugh the other day in his preview in the Central Division referring to Edmund Sumner as Gumby. Because that's dead on. It's 100% yeah. right. But when when he is out there, he shows so many flashes as a guy that can get to the basket. He rushes a little bit, but can really be another playmaker out there. And that was something that this Pacers team had lacked. So last year, Kevin Pritchard, the president, brought in Tyreek Evans. That experiment failed. And now you have a couple more guys that maybe are thrusted into that. Um, but But that's the big thing, especially as Victor's out. Yeah, absolutely. One, let, let's run down a couple of position battles that I found interesting, Dave. And let's start at point guard and it, going into the year, and even still right now, Aaron Holiday getting the reps and being that primary backup point guard. But at least in the short sample size we've seen in preseason and, and sorts of things, TJ McConnell's the guy that's outplayed him. Is this something maybe you expect for TJ McConnell to get initial reps at that backup point guard spot? Or maybe as Aaron Holiday, they'll stick with him and, and let him learn through adversity? You know, I, I wouldn't be shocked because Nate McMillan tends to lean toward veterans. I, I wouldn't be shocked if he went with a guy who's been in the league a little bit longer um, and, and has more experience. But I don't expect it to stay that way. I mean, Aaron Holiday is just a better player today than, than TJ McConnell. Um, the fact that that he can he can actually shoot threes um, is going to be huge for this team. There's pretty much no way they can't play Aaron Holiday. Uh, I think TJ ideally is like your third guard, and and you don't have to play him a whole lot. I, I, honestly, I thought it was a weird signing. Um, if Completely I, if agree with you. I was in the yeah. same boat because he's a he's a very good player that can step in. He has some leadership is capabilities. He? Is he what? I, he is he a good player? I think he's fine, but there, it, you it's a high floor, but it's a super low ceiling. Let's I, put it that I'm way. I'm concerned defensively. Although yeah. I will say, for mo- against most teams, he he can come in and give you spot minutes where he's just a pest out there, right? I mean, we saw a couple preseason games where he was pressuring full court, and they weren't the starting point guard was not aware of him, stole the inbounds yeah. pass, and he gave him an extra possession. I think that's ultimately how he will be best used, and Aaron has to rise to the occasion. But having said that, in this preseason, I thought they they expected TJ to push him and challenge him, and that to be a good thing. I don't think it was. I think Aaron kind of second-guessed himself, um, and with every pass, maybe he, he was thinking with TJ over his shoulder, and that's not a good thing. Yeah, but with, with TJ, you have to handcuff him to guys that can shoot because he's not going to shoot the three, so he's going to offer no spacing whatsoever, whereas with Aaron, you know, he will take those shots. I mean, he's hitting it below league average rate, but taking those shots have value. So I, I think that um, ultimately Aaron Holiday is the better player in particular for this team. So I, I maybe we see this at the start of the season, but I think by the time Oladipo's coming back, mm-hmm. McConnell's probably out of the rotation. The one thing, and this goes also for the Miles Turner, Domas Sabonis pairing, and, and Goga as the backup, whatever it is, I, I want the coaching staff to stick to it because I think the worst thing would be, um, say Aaron, he starts as the backup point guard, as I'm expecting, and then in a couple games they bring McConnell as the backup. I think they need to stick to whatever it is so that no one is looking over their shoulder and they can build that confidence within their group and within their second unit, so to speak, because there's a lot of newness again. Yeah, I agree with you there. I, I think consistency, especially for this team, yeah. because it is so young, is going to be important. 
Next pairing that interests me is Justin Holiday and Doug McDermott. McDermott getting more of the minutes. And the thing, Dave, I'll tell you, more and more I watch, it looks like the Doug McDermott of old. He's not hesitating whatever. He's being used a ton off dribble handoffs and peeling around a screen and just firing away. I wrote about this last week on The Athletic. I really like what I've been able to see from Doug. But Justin gives you a different look, a guy on the perimeter who can knock down threes and perhaps the best wing defender this team has. Absolutely. And the defense is what's going to get him playing time. But but his willingness to shoot threes, even though he's not the three-point shooter Doug McDermott is, the willingness to shoot is going to keep him on the floor. So would it shock you to, to learn that Doug McDermott, as a 40% career three-point shooter, only averages 2.7 attempts per game? No, not certainly not last year because that was a big thing. He hesitated a lot. He passed off. And on the other side of that, he just was not playing with a grouping that was positive for what he's trying to right. do. I mean, the ball would just get stuck with Tyreek Evans, and he just stood in the corner and didn't know what to do, Doug. And that won't happen this year when he's on the court. So I, I think the, the path to minutes for Doug McDermott is going to be aggressiveness, like you said, coming off those DHOs, but also – I'd like to see his three-point attempts up to around six a game. Like, if he's playing 17 to 20 minutes a night, he should be able to get up six threes a game. There's no reason why he couldn't, especially, you know, in in Nate McMillan's offense. I, I do think that he can slide into that Boyan role to a certain degree, at least as a shooter, as, yeah. as like the, the tertiary option type of guy. Um, I don't expect him to, to do much off the dribble and to play make for others, but I do think – He's going to have to take more shots. Um, but Justin Holiday, I expect him to get the majority of those minutes from the jump because of yeah. the defense and because of the fact that he is willing to take those threes. I mean, you know, it is a bit of a drop-off, but it's not huge. He's around league average, about 35%. And, and, and so he shoots it well enough that his defense is going to be such a bonus that he'll, he'll be on the court. I think Doug will get the initial minutes, Justin spot minutes early on, specifically defense. But what I want to see is the Holiday Brothers, and not just because it's a fun story. There is, from <laughs> yeah. the short, small sample size, again, there was tangible chemistry between those two. So many times Aaron would penetrate, the defense would collapse, and Justin got to the right spot, got open, and Aaron knew exactly where he was so he could dart a pass opposite corner, etc. Yeah, and, and you know, if, if Drew Holiday was somehow available, <laughs> man, he would fit in with this team so well. We'll have the Holiday Brothers uh, meeting just after Christmas, I'm looking forward to that, December 28th down in New Orleans. I think that'll be cool because those, yeah, those guys are very tight, very close. And initially, I think, at least I did, I thought Drew was the oldest. No, Justin is the oldest at 30, and Aaron has never really played with him. So this is their first time playing meaningful basketball with each other, and that was a huge reason why Justin, who didn't have a ton of good options in free agency, especially no multi-year deals, that's why he ultimately decided to sign here. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I always love those little nuggets. I, I think it's fun. It's one of the things that, that makes uh, sports you know, a little bit more personal. So I, I always like that. Goga Bataze, the thing that will be interesting with him is how much to expect of him on the early going. He's still out of shape. Um, he's just being a rookie. I mean, things come slowly to you a little bit. The pace, the speed of the game. He admitted he's still a little bit nervous after just playing in one preseason game. And just the speed of the game caught up with him a little bit, too. I think that first play in the game, they, a pass was sent his way, and he bobbled it, 
right out of bounds, those sorts of things. What are your expectations, Dave, for Goga coming off the bench this season and playing that five position? Well, so I think he's an NBA player. No and, question. And yeah. as a matter of fact, it's almost bad that, that he – it's good and bad that he's in Indy. Okay, it's good because he doesn't have to come in and just start right away and, and be expected to, you know, perform. But the truth is he's probably ready for NBA rotation minutes today and, and could be ready for heavy when he's in shape, heavy rotation minutes. And it's going to be tough to get because they're going to have to play so many minutes, uh, you know, obviously Sabonis and, and Turner together. But I think Sabonis is going to also still play a lot of center. So it's where is he going to find these minutes? Can he play next to, to Sabonis? Can he play next to Turner is going to be fascinating. Um, but, you know, he, he actually does a lot. And, and, you know, it's tough because if you watch the film of him, you're watching him and he's playing against a lot of little guys. <laughs> and, and so it, it's hard to really tell. I mean, just like with a lot of Euro bigs, it's hard to really tell. Is he just this gigantic person? But, I mean, he's big, got a good wingspan. He can really move. He can run the floor. Uh, he's got skills. He's a good passer, uh, good rebounder. And he does a lot really well. Now, he's not a freak athlete. He's not going to jump up and, like, pull a Miles Turner. And, and, you know, he's not flushing any big alley-oops or anything. Um, you know, he's not great in the pick and roll. There's a lot of stuff there. I, I think he's going to shoot threes, though. And I think that – Oh, he, he is. That, he is an outstanding shooter. Yeah. yeah, and I think when you can do that, especially for a team that's gonna gonna need that spacing, I think he's gonna get minutes. So I'm looking forward to him actually playing. It would have been nice if he went to a bad team that he could have started on, because I do think this is a guy who might wind up being a really good center in the NBA. See, I, I go the other way. I think this is kind of a perfect situation for him in that there's not a lot forced upon him, and he can kind of ease his way into it without. S- any kind of big expectations and in terms of pairings, I think him and Sabonis will work out the best for the same reasons Miles and Sabonis because Miles and Goga, very similar, good outside shot, decent rim protection, can do some out of the post. Um, But the big question with Sabonis, of course, I think is his pick and roll defense and being pushed away from the basket. Um, But what you do get from him is on the offensive end. So that's where you're going to have, trouble with Sabonis and Batazde on the court at the same time because neither one of them are particularly good as the big in a pick and roll. So teammates have really been impressed with Goga from what they have seen. But again, with any rookie, it's going to take some time. But Dave, let's wrap up this first episode with maybe who figures to stand out uh, to you. For me, I'll go first. I think it's TJ Warren. I would not be surprised if he leads this team in scoring. He's an outstanding scorer, playmaker that can get his own basket. Um, shot over 40% from three last year in a system, again, in Phoenix, where you're playing for the lottery. I continue to repeat that, but that's the situation. And, and David West, a former Pacer great, loves the fact that he's in Indiana. He has some structure. He's playing in a winning situation. This is all new for him. He's going to have to adapt a little bit because he can't just be the man here. But I really am excited about what T.J. Warren has to offer this team um, more than anyone. For me, it's Miles Turner. You know, we, we saw last year he can anchor the defense. He can be fantastic on that end. But we need to see more on the offensive end. They're going to lean on him more for scoring. Only scored 13 points a game last uh, last season at about seven rebounds. I, I think he's going to need a double-double. I think he's going to need somewhere around 18 points a game. That's what this team needs out of Miles Turner. 
Uh, he's about a 40% three-point shooter. That's fantastic. want to see the attempts go up. This Pacers team was second to last in the league in three-point attempts per game. They're going to need to bump that up. They need a little bit more variance because they're lacking in, in the high-end talent, in particular when Oladipo's out. So I'd like to see Miles Turner shooting like four threes a game, and I'd like to see him looking to score more. And so, you know, I, I think if he can do that, we're, we're talking potential all-star. Yeah, he is a budding all-star in my mind, and I think Sabonis maybe could work his way there here in a couple years. Uh, the big thing with him is whether they can get a contract extension done, and right now things aren't looking good on that front. And it's not anything to necessarily worry about because he becomes a restricted free agent in the summer, but I think it's something that the Pacers certainly would like to have done. Miles is appreciative that he was able to have it done one year ago because it was just one less thing to think about and he could just go out there and play, I think. But, yeah, with 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 Sabonis and, and what he's able to provide, he's the rebounder, he's the guy that'll be physical, and he could score more points. I think you're right. You're absolutely right. Miles needs to score more, but he's never going to be, in my mind, a eight rebounds per game type of guy. That's just not his game. And also, he's more focused on getting the block, and so oftentimes that takes him out of position to rebound. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that's true, but uh, with the – too big tandem, I think you're going to need to see these guys individually boost their rebounding numbers. Otherwise, it's going to be tough to keep them on the court. Good stuff, man. I appreciate it and really looking forward to doing a show with you every week here throughout the season. Absolutely. It's going to be a fun year. He's Dave DeFour. I'm Scott Agnes. Thanks for making it all the way through this first episode of the Fieldhouse Files. And those of you who came along with me from the Pacers podcast, you can expect more of the same in-depth interviews. I'll be talking with people in and around the franchise for them to share their insights. But the best way for you to follow this podcast and my Pacers coverage is to go to The Athletic and become a subscriber, get full access to the website, to the app, and right now with the relaunch of the podcast, we're proud to offer you 40% off an annual subscription. You just need to go to theathletic.com forward slash Fieldhouse Files. And once you're a member, you get full access to podcasts ad free, plus full coverage from any sports team around the country and even over in the UK with our recent launch a couple months ago. Otherwise, this podcast is available on all the major platforms for at least one episode per week on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, etc. Go on there, subscribe to the podcast, and feel free to leave a review. One last thing, a special shout out to DJ Bandcamp for providing a new intro for this fresh start here with the Fieldhouse Files. He's the official DJ of the Pacers, and he was nice enough to send me his marquee track along to use Time to Ball for our featured song for the Fieldhouse Files. That will do it for this episode of the Fieldhouse Files. We'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>